God, would you bring a greater degree of satisfaction in you to our hearts this morning as we study your word. Uh, thank you for the joy it is to be able to sing your praises. Thank you for the breath that you have given us this day that you have made for us to do just that, to sing your praises. And would our lives uh, be lives given to praise, uh, not just on Sunday and not just in song, but through submission in every single part of our life. And God, as we, we sung about freedom earlier, this through the spirit of the Lord, that there is freedom, I pray that you would uncover for us, maybe this morning, particular ways in our lives that might even surprise us where we are captive to a former manner of life that isn't consistent with the freedom that we've been given in Christ. And it should promote in us freedom from ourselves, freedom from sin, freedom from patterns we've excused, that we might have the freedom and the blessing of walking with you more completely this morning as a result of being together. Do work now through your word, through the power of your spirit. I pray that would be a conduit of grace for your people. We love you. We thank you for the work that Jesus has done to forgive us, to make us new, and to make us a part of your family, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So good to be with you. Uh, my name is Matt Moorhead. I'm one of the pastors here. It's such a joy to be with you and have some time to study again this morning. In God's Word, you can open your Bibles to the book of James. We are going to continue our journey through the book of James. We'll be in chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be studying verses 1 through 12 this morning. So based on some not-so-professional research real quickly online, it seems that the average person speaks somewhere around 16,000 words a day. So there's no indication, generally speaking, that women speak more than men, generally. Although in my house, I beg to differ. There's many more words coming out of the females in my home than out of mine often. So that's debatable. But I wonder, you know, if we use 16,000 as the number, it'd be interesting to consider, study, contemplate, probably no good way to determine this. Like how many of the 16,000 words are really important words? They matter. They change things. They change perspectives. They even change hearts and relationships. In Proverbs 18.4, it says, The words of man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. So the, the parallel is, is that, that for the average person, apart from the work of God in their lives, that their words are like deep waters. They just keep coming, and there's depth, and they are constant but the fountain of wisdom is like a bubbling brook. And so as we look at the book of James, we're going to be studying on taming the tongue this morning. And so I would venture to guess there are certain realms of your life where you're going to be made uncomfortable this morning, much like I was this week. Like considering the 16,000 words, for some of you more, for some of you less, the power that's contained in human speech. And I think James would maybe, if he was using Proverbs 18.4, he might say something like, as Christians, we should be less like deep waters and more like the bubbling brooks of wisdom. 
And that's really what the book of James is about. It's about faith in action. How does the faith that we profess in Jesus practically work out in our lives in every single thing about us? And so we looked last week at the end of chapter 2 at how faith without works is dead. So if you say one thing with your mouth and your life doesn't, doesn't reflect any difference, then that faith is meaningless. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything if your faith is just merely a profession. It doesn't have outward workings of the presence and power of God in your life. And that's the case that James made. If you want some more detail on that, you can go back to last week's message. It should be online. It was a little more theological. And today, and the benefit of preaching through books is sometimes you'll hit parts that are a little bit more theological. And today is a real deeply practical message. Maybe not even one I'd choose to preach if I was just determining my topic. But today we're going to talk about the tongue the power of the tongue. So James 1.19, James has already mentioned there and in one other place we'll get to in a little bit about speech. He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. That's James 1.19. And what God makes clear in his word is the fact that each word, each of the 16,000 words carries with it, carries with them an incredible capacity for right or for wrong to build up or tear down, power to produce life or death. Proverbs 18.21 says it this way. You probably heard this before. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it, those who love speech, will eat its fruits. So here's the main idea this morning. The main premise is this. Demonstrating your faith through your speech involves both control and content. Control and content. You're going to see that in this text. There's an issue of bridling and taming, and there's an issue of what comes out as you speak, and both are incredibly important. And so let's read just quickly in verse 1 of chapter 3. And so this feels a little bit like an abrupt change of subjects, much like this book feels almost the whole way. Because we've talked about, many believe James or have talked about it like the Proverbs of the New Testament because it just switches. James seems to kind of bounce here and there talking about various topics. And this is one of those changes. He goes from saying faith without works is dead to chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so I can't really explain where James' mind was. It appears that there are some in the church who are trying to, to obtain a position of teaching, and he's giving them a sober warning that when attached to Hebrews 13, it says that pastors, teachers are accountable for the souls of God's people should arrest anyone that's trying to obtain a platform to preach just for personal gain. He says, let not many be teachers because you'll incur a stricter judgment in light of that role. And so you could connect it to words, maybe something like your words matter, especially when you're deliver delivering God's words. In verse 2, it starts with, for we all stumble in many ways. And we'll pause there just for a second. So before James kind of goes full throttle and focusing on the tongue, he utters this really important statement that levels the playing field for all of us in a way that's both helpful and pretty sobering. And the picture is this, is we all get it wrong. Every single one of us gets it wrong. Whether it's in speech or just in general, we have all gone wrong. 
in all sorts of ways. Like sin is a, a disease common to every human being. No one can claim any sort of spiritual advantage over another human being. All of us have gone astray and lost our way. First John 1, 8 and 10 says this. says, if we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's how certain John is as it relates to our condition. Verse 10 of that same chapter. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. So we all stumble in many ways, and we all need help. There's a hearty amen. I know it's internal right now. There's a hearty, like we all need help. Like we all have stumbled in many ways. As a result, we all need help from God. And thankfully, we find that help in Christ Jesus. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We all stumble. We all fail. We all falter but we all have an advocate, and that's good news. So to the degree you felt rattled by just being confronted, to the degree you will feel rattled today by being confronted with your failure, you need to be confronted all the more by the rich advocacy of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ himself, who speaks a better word on your behalf. And we'll get back to that as we take communion this morning here in just a little bit. A savior to those who stumble, a comforter to those confronted by their failure. We all stumble in many ways, but the iniquity of us all has fallen upon Jesus. So this morning, when you come face to face with maybe the areas of your life, areas of your speech where you have failed, my encouragement to you is hurl yourself upon Jesus as your advocate. Run to him. This is not a message just to moralize you, to make your speech better. And this message and every message I pray that we ever preach, it would confront us with how much we need Jesus Christ. We need new life. We need the spirit of Jesus within us that takes us as captives to certain areas of speech and sets us free to honor him with our lips. And all 16,000 of the words that we utter each and every day. He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us, the gospel we know, still saving us, still changing us, it holds us, and we need to hold on to it. So let's now move forward with James's presentation of taming the tongue. So verse 2, for if we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So maybe just plainly to say it this way, taming the tongue is a sign of Christian maturity. Taming the tongue, controlling your speech is a sign of Christian 
maturity. We should not be indifferent to our speech as believers, those who follow Jesus. That's what this whole section is about in so many ways. Like your speech matters to God. And it matters to your testimony as one professing to follow Jesus. Taming the tongue is a sign of Christian maturity. In fact, James seems to be making the case that the ability to show self-control in your speech is so significant, if you can master that, you can master the whole body. It's so slippery. If you can get a hold of it, man, you can, you can do anything in Christ. Right, That's the kind of the picture that seems to be the emphasis so significant that you can master your whole body. James has already outlined how bridling your tongue is a mark of genuine faith. In James 1.26, you can probably flip to your left in most of your Bibles. James 1.26, he says, If anyone thinks he's religious, if he has true faith and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Same language we used last week. The faith without works is worthless. Now he's revisiting the same principle of restraining your tongue, holding your speech in check, and just as a tiny bit in the mouth of a huge horse can guide the whole body of that animal, just as a rudder on a gigantic ship can steer that gigantic ship, so your small tongue, if it can be controlled, can guide the whole body. But as we see in verses 7 and 8, if you want to skip down to those just real briefly, in this same section, James 3, it says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. And maybe to say it this way, I was talking to my, my family about this this week as we were reading this together, and, and this wording came to mind. It's like taming the tongue is so difficult because speech is so easy. Like, taming your tongue is so incredibly hard because words come so quickly. They come so easily to us. I can't think of many things other than breathing that come easier in the human life than uttering words. And maybe it is that taming the tongue is so difficult because speech is so easy. Sinning with words is incredibly easy. In verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. This picture of boasting, there's obviously no accident, it's present here. But the tongue boasts of great things. So the, the wording here is really interesting. It's, a, it's almost like a double compound word. It's a compound word of another compound word plus another one. And it basically means this, the tongue rejoices in growing great. Now let me just kind of boil this down to a practical level. The tongue, human speech, rejoices in growing great, namely in the sight of other people. If everything you hear reminds you of something that you want to say about yourself, this passage is for you. And that's all of us. But some of you are more guilty than others. If, if, like, if, if you are on the ready, like, you're hearing a story, you're listening, but the very thing that you're thinking about is how to pounce on that topic to one-up the person you're listening to, that's what James is talking about. The tongue boasts of great things. It rejoices in being made great. And if you can't stand to listen but to say something about yourself, 
You should feel conviction from this section. I should feel conviction from this section. So often I've, I'm confronted by the fact like I wasn't even listening to what was being said. I was just thinking about what I was going to say in return. Anybody else guilty of that? Come on, y'all. Raise your hands. All right. I don't normally ask you to raise your hand. You better raise your hand. But that's maybe an expression of this problem. If while listening you're just waiting to pounce with your own tale of greatness, then herein lies our problem. But it should be something more like let, let, let him increase, let Christ increase. As a result, let them, the person I'm listening to, increase. Let me decrease. That was John the Baptist's picture, right? If they're all going after Jesus, let him increase. Let me decrease. And there's a posture that can be that way even in our speech. But it is the ease of speech that makes it so difficult to control. But it's the power of speech that makes it so important to control. In verse 5, it's really, really colorful language. So if you go back to verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And listen to this language. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That's some really, really strong language. Let me just comment on a couple layers of this. So James doesn't mince words here as he addresses the negative power of speech or of the tongue. The tongue is like fire and it has an astonishing capacity for harm. And some of you, when I stated those words right there, can think of moments in your life where you were hurt deeply, simply, but profoundly by somebody's words. Words quite literally can change the trajectory of a child's life. Words could change my life. If I went home and something was uttered by my wife, and we're doing great, by the way. I mentioned this to her the other night, and she was a little bit thrown off by it, but the picture is clear. If I went home, it would take just a few words from Haley to destroy my heart. I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving you. That's not many words. But it would destroy my life. You get the point. So do we take it that seriously? The 16,000 words, do we utter them with a, a sense of sobriety that they hold the capacity to breathe life or to bring death? The tongue is like fire. It has an astonishing capacity for harm. So the, the largest forest fire on record it was in 1825, southeastern Canada. It's called the Miramachi Fire. It's said to have burnt 3 million acres in southeastern Canada. Just to give you some context, that's the size of both Texas and California combined. 3 million acres. You know where it started? It's a small matchstick. The size of, quite literally, smaller than my fingertip. And that puts into context what James is talking about. Like you can set the course of your whole life ablaze with fire by this small thing we call the tongue. The whole body. I don't think he's necessarily talking about the church body, but I could say right here, there are whole churches who have been destroyed by words. By words. By gossip and slander. Whole churches meant to be a household of faith destroyed by human speech. 
The whole body could be set on fire. Your words, like a world of unrighteousness. Proverbs 16, 27, a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Proverbs 26, 21, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. So this picture of the tongue being a world of unrighteousness, it's kind of like the, it's like the word cosmos, where we get the word cosmos. And the picture is something like this. Like the tongue is filled with a cosmic wickedness, so pervasive and vast, we can't quite get our head around it. And it, it kind of harkens us back to, to man's condition, like pre-Jesus. Like the poison of vipers is under their lips. Speaking words that are poisonous. The tongue can stain your whole body. And I was thinking about this this week, like just pictures of this in human experience. Like I've met executives. I've met really powerful leaders in the marketplace. I've met really influential leaders in sports and education and in the church. And no matter their platform, their position, their influence, their character will never surpass their speech. Because if you find someone in one of those positions, like a foul or slanderous mouth will diminish the effectiveness of their whole body and be a stain ultimately to the overall picture of who they are. And do we see it the same way for us? Do we see our words as potentially being a stain upon the character that we have? It really is a representation of who Jesus is in the end. The tongue will set on fire the entire course of life. What powerful language. And a mouth, if I could say it this way, a mouth set on fire by hell ultimately demonstrates a heart not submitted to the God of heaven. I believe that's some of what James is trying to get across because we, we're about to get into the, the back half of this where he deals with the inconsistency in speech from professing believers. So a mouth that is ablaze with the fire of hell, his words, for us, is inconsistent with a heart submitted to the God of heaven. So we look in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. A faith that works aligns the substance of speech with the source of its life. A faith that works aligns the substance of speech with the source of its life. And that's the picture I believe that James is trying to communicate. Poison. In James 5.3, that same word is translated rust. So maybe it could be said like this. If you're giving your life to sin, it has a corrupting effect in your life. It's Galatians 6. He who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
has a rusting, deteriorating effect in our lives. And one of the symptoms of our inward corrosion will be words covered in rust. They're hurtful. They're destructive. They're of no good to other people. They don't benefit to hear. And if the content of your heart is poisonous, your comments will be as well. Some of what we see here is that poisonous words are inconsistent with the tongue of a purchased saint. If you're purchased by God, a redeemed child of God, you're living in Christ, you've been given a new heart and a new life, poisonous words don't match your new man or woman. They're incongruent with the work that God has done in you. As someone who's been given life by Christ, our words should also give life. Jesus commented on this very thing in Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures produces evil. And this is a part you've probably heard many times. This is what Jesus says. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We speak as a reflection of what's in our heart. The nature of the plant determines its fruit. The tongue heralds what is in the heart. Stephen Davies said it this way. He says, the tongue is simply the messenger that delivers the mail composed by the heart. So maybe we need to evaluate for a minute. Like if you look at the messages you're sending out, what do you find? If you look at your words, is the mail composed by your heart? What kind of mail are you delivering? Like love letters, notes of encouragement, memos crafted intentionally to build up even when the subject is difficult? Are your words like messengers of grace to people who hear you? Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Or maybe as we look at our own hearts, as we look at our own words, like do we find junk mail? Maybe even hate mail. Is that the kind of messages that you find yourself putting out there and communicating to other people? Maybe your words are like the gossip column, constantly breaking down people behind their back. That's what gossip is. Talking about somebody else behind their back to someone who's not a part of the solution. Words can destroy relationships and the fabric of a home, the fabric of a church. It could be maybe openly slandering others just because you don't like them. Maybe under the guise that their behavior warrants such words. What do your words tell you about your heart? Now, if I could jump on a soapbox just for a moment, a very brief moment. I shared this with my girls. I would say this about social media. Social media in general contributes to an environment where men and women believe that they can speak without any sense of accountability. 
Now, it's just kind of bubbling up to the surface what's already there. It's just a platform that kind of cultivates it in maybe just a more clear and ugly fashion publicly. But it creates an environment. I could say it, create, it could create in your own heart this perception that your words don't matter as much as they do. After all, they're just relegated to a comment box. You're just kind of trailing behind someone, trolling them, as it were, just to comment on what you agree or don't disagree with. And my caution to you is to not be reckless, not be naive into thinking that somehow it doesn't have an effect on you. As Christians, we need to recognize at the very least that we're not immune to unhealthy patterns of speech. And at worst, based on James's example, at worst, we are at risk of being hypocrites who come to church on Sunday and yield fresh water to bless God. But then throughout the week from that same spring, we yield bitter salt water as we curse other people made in his image. How does that hit you? I don't, I don't know how you speak outside of here. For many of you, I don't know how you speak generally speaking. We're not around each other enough. But what God is telling you is that your speech is connected to your heart. It just reveals what's within and do you come here on Sunday and bless God and speak words of kindness to the people in this room only to get out to your car and unload hateful words at others or impatient, harsh words to your family? Is there consistency really is the question. Not perfection, but consistency. And I want to rattle off just a few thoughts from me pastorally in light of this section. Just some application points and I'll run through them pretty quickly. Like, what do we do then? Like, how do we grow in taming our tongue? The first thing I would say is focus on your heart. Focus on your heart. Ask for God's help to leverage the capacity of your words to create life and blessing instead of death and destruction. Ask God for help and focus on your heart. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Psalm 37 30 through 31 says, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. And listen to the connection here. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. If the word of God is hidden, saturated your heart, the more likely it is that what will come out will be righteous and not unrighteous. There's a clear connection scripturally. Focus on your heart. The second would be this be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. I think you could arguably, maybe not even arguably say, if you speak a lot, you sin a lot. That seems to be a correlation. Scripture, if you speak a lot, you find yourself speaking and not being slow to hear, you run the risk of increasing exponentially your opportunity and your chances of sinning against someone in doing so. Be slow to speak. Be humble. Restraining your speech is like a restraining of your heart. View your heart like a horse and pull back on the bit to keep your heart from reacting sinfully. Proverbs ten nineteen says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. All right, so focus on your heart. Be slow to speak. The next one is consistent content. This is just kind of hearkening back to James's my brothers, these things ought not to be so in verse 10. It should not be that you who are light would speak words of darkness. That you and I with a spirit of gentleness would spew harsh words that damage. 
that you and I who have this spirit of self-control would yield our words like a, like a flamethrower, hitting and damaging people all around us, consistent content. Fourth is don't make excuses. If I could just add this, like don't make lame excuses. Because I've met people in my life and in ministry that just somehow... They, they section off a part of their personality is somehow just not being under the, the realm of Jesus' authority. It sounds something like this. Matt, I just speak my mind. It's just who I am. Like I just, I'm just, when I, when I feel something, when I think something, I just say it. And my response would be like, so what about that? Yeah, maybe the former you is like unleash. You just kind of do what you want, but that's not the way this works. When Jesus gets a hold of your heart, he affects everything about you. You might be naturally given to be more outgoing and talkative, but it's not some excuse to be godless in the way that you speak or prideful. Your personality is subject to the person and work of Jesus Christ, just like mine. So follow him. Don't make lame excuses. And the last one, arguably, the most important is because of our battle with this, confess and repent of sinful speech. Confess means to agree with God that it's wrong. So when you're confronted, I can think of all the times I've had to ask my kids and my wife for forgiveness. I don't know what percentage, but it's really, really high. How many are related to my words? I mean, it's the overwhelming majority of moments where I've had to ask forgiveness from someone, particularly my family. It has to do with the way that I spoke, the words that I said, the tone that I said them in. Confess means that, God, I agree with you. This is not, this is not right. This is not matched with your word. That's confession. Repentance is looking at those things objectively and saying, this I will not do anymore. I see your word here, and I'm going to follow that. I'm going to follow you. Repentance is turning away from one to follow the other, namely away from sin to follow God. Confess and repent of your sinful speech. And I would just say maybe this way as well. Like the road to taming your tongue, which will be a process to be sure. Like the road to taming your tongue is paved with all sorts of moments when you don't. Like the pathway to grow in taming your tongue will certainly be paved with many moments where you don't. And that's why it's so important to confess and repent and make right, ask forgiveness where you need to, interpersonally, even the people that you have sinned against. And we're going to take some time this morning to take communion. And unlike, I mean, it's, just, it's probably one of the chief moments for us as believers where we get some time to pause reflect on the nature of how God's word has examined our heart and to, to humbly submit to what God wants us to do. Because as cross-eyed people, focused on Jesus' work for us, who set us free and given us freedom and given us new life, and his word is a blueprint for how to speak and how to live, we're, we're to be ones that evaluate constantly how is my life aligning with the Word of God? And so we're going to take some time. The way we're going to do this this morning is we're going to, I'm going to give you some time through one song. The worship team is going to come up in just a moment. Actually, I'll just invite y'all to go ahead and come on up. 
And we're going, to sing a, we're going to sing a song. And during this song, I want to encourage you just to use the whole song as a time to reflect. Consider how your life and your words align with what we just studied in God's Word. And where you need to, confess. Confess and repent. Move away from those things. You might need to get up and go call somebody and ask for forgiveness right now to make it right. You might need to lean over to the person next to you and talk to him about something that was said even this morning. But use this as a time to acknowledge maybe particular ways where you have veered off the path of righteousness and moved away from God's intended design for your speech.